Jan, it's uh, fantastic to have you here on the Sales Transformation podcast. I think you know this is uh, a trilogy of podcast interviews that we're doing with people who have a sort of particular focus on selling the larger, more complex sales. And it's it's just wonderful to um, have you with us. So welcome, Jan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Um well, it's a, it's 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 our it's our honour to have you on the on 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 this program, Jan. So, um, just um, I think uh, for the benefit of the listeners, what we normally do, Jan, is start off with just asking um, whether or not you could give us a little bit of background as to who you are and how you came to be in sales. So, I wonder if I could hand over to you just to do a short introduction. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, well, I ended up after my studies in business informatics. My first job was actually sales. I was in uh, in a company selling tools for woodworking and uh, more the industry woodworking stuff. So drills and saw blades. And that was actually my first job, um, just selling those uh, tools to um, wholesale companies. So, were and, you, uh, but did you start off in sales, or or did you sort of you went straight into a sales role? Straight into sales, yeah. It was kind okay. of particular because I studied business informatics, focusing on IT and business processes. Okay. Somehow I ended up in this job, um, and it, it really was the foundation of what I'm doing today. Because obviously it wasn't a commercial role, but it was also um, a relatively small company where I was working directly with the company owner. And um, I think a lot of the values that we'll be talking about later, yeah. um, I can thank him for that because that was, um, there was a guy that was really um, customer obsessed and he was okay. focusing on stuff like quality and speed. And you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And I did that for like, I think, almost three years okay. just in the inside sales role. And I got some account management responsibilities as well during that time. And then the company decided to implement an ERP system. And that's when I uh, got in touch with uh, the work field that I'm in currently, SAP. Um, and I was obsessed with it. I was really fascinated by the project that they were running. So they implemented the new ERP system with a consulting company, and that led to my transfer into consulting. So I um, I took a job as a consultant. I think it was in two thousand six. Okay. And I um, yeah I did consulting for about eight years, running projects at clients, uh, mostly from a technical uh, in a technical role, so technical project management, architecture roles in IT. And in 2012, 2013, I was asked within the company at the time to uh, to pick up a commercial role again. So I got back into sales. Okay. So I started in sales, went to consulting, got back to my old passion. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's fantastic. But I guess having the experience of the consulting has helped you in your in your sales roles because you you've seen a lot of probably quite complex implementations of the ERP solutions that you were. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it really helps me still every day to know um, 
what the complexity of not only a client or the tool that you're selling or the product that you're selling, but also the implementation project. And it has a lot of impact on not only the IT architecture, but also on business processes that are changing, but also organizational changes. People uh, are going to do different things than they're used to doing. And that's, that's a very important aspect of our work field. Yeah. And it, yeah, it indeed really helps that I've been in consulting for, for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you've gone back into sales. So what, what kind of role do you have now? Yeah. I'm, um, I'm doing sales and account management within, uh, our company called McCoy. Yeah. And we're an, uh, SAP partner. So we implement, well, basically we sell the software of SAP to clients. We implement those solutions in projects. And we also have a, uh, a department for managed services after the project. So uh, we call it value re realization. Mm -hmm. After they've bought the tools, they've implemented the tools. We don't leave them alone. We stay with them to maximize value. And in my role, I have a couple of key clients that, I, um, that I'm the account manager for. But I also do new business sales for the quite uh, larger ERP deals. Okay. That's fantastic. So McCoy sounds, you know, quite a Scottish name, but I know you're not a Scottish company. Um, True. So, so could you tell us a little bit about McCoy and uh, maybe the, the context of McCoy and who they are? I get the question a lot. Where, uh, where does the name come from? But it actually comes from the Scottish history. Okay. Um, and actually last year, our company existed 10 years. We were founded in twenty. 12 okay. and we took everybody of our company uh, approximately to 300 people and their partners to scotland to discover our roots um <laughs> sounds really romantic but the name um it's it's related to uh, uh scottish clans that were uh smuggling whiskey to the us in the uh, in in historic times oh, to okay. work around the standard processes exactly um but it, it basically stands for the real McCoy. So we think we should deliver the real McCoy to our clients. So okay. based on quality, based on going the extra mile, uh, that, that's where the name is coming from. Okay. Um, we're a Dutch company, so we're based in the Netherlands, but we also have an offshore operation in the Philippines. Mm. Uh, we're approximately 300 people in the Netherlands and about 40 to 50 people in, the, in Manila, in the Philippines. And yeah, we're, we ha we're a company that was founded Greenfield in, in 2012. Uh, and we're very proud to be independent. So yeah. in, our, in our area, in our work field, a lot of companies are being acquired or being funded by private equity or other investors. And we're still one of the few SAP companies in the Netherlands that's still independent, which is very, very important for us to be able to do what we do at customers. So we can decide quickly, we can decide what we want to sell or, and what we don't want to sell. That's also very important. Um, so I, I, you know, it's great to, 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 and we'll talk more about it, but there's something when we, when we're talking about, um, the, um, podcast, you mentioned that you'd also, uh, Alongside some of the activities that you were doing, you 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 had a 
a sort of slightly more entrepreneurial idea that you develop with with some friends, colleagues, I'm not sure. No, um, we're friends. And actually, I've been thinking quite a lot about that because I, I think that um, it would be good to, to know a little bit more about what you did. But it, I'm seeing a common theme, actually, with this sort of entrepreneurial mindset that you have um, with both the other two people that I've interviewed. They've all had uh, experience in running their own businesses as well, even though it may have been not their main thing. So could you tell me a little bit more about what you were, you know, what you did with some of your colleagues some years ago? Yeah, it was, it was an idea that um, I had two friends, long-term friends. We go way back, like 20 years, 30 years old school friends and they are in completely different businesses than than we are so one is in the automotive business one is in the entertainment business and when we were talking to each other that we um, we had the drive to start our own company but we didn't even know in what business or what we would have we, we didn't have a business plan basically yeah. We just had the urge to do something together, uh, start a new company. Um, and we decided to go into retail in the local business uh, here in my town in the Netherlands. And the, um, the energy that that um, created between us, but also in the local community, just selling consumer products to clients in our local village, everybody stepping into our stores and um, um, we, we, we got the energy from a couple of things, the interaction with the local community, mm -hmm. um, every aspect of uh, having your own company, having your own business, but also innovating with newly developed products that we, we, we once found a, a company in Poland and we were selling uh, cosmetics. Okay. And, when we were talking to the company in Poland, they had an idea of a new product, but they couldn't sell it to anyone because it wasn't completely developed yet. And together with that company from Poland, we, we had a meeting, a face-to-face -face meeting, because we didn't have the virtual possibilities that we have now. So uh, they came to Holland, we had a meeting, and uh, one of the ideas was that we um, um, took their product and we added a special packaging to that. Okay. just to make it more appealing. And we used another company for that in the Netherlands to develop that packaging. Okay. And those kind of new things, new ideas, uh, were really the reason why we started that company, not to make a lot of money, but just to have creativity and um, okay. out-of-the-box thinking, introducing new stuff. And, of course, that was a very successful product with the new box and the new packaging, but we also had some failures of course and yeah. we learned a lot um and in i think it was 2015 uh, i stepped out of the company because i was starting in my role that i have now and it, it was very tough to combine those two but it yeah. i took the lessons from that period with me um in the stuff that i do now yeah definitely i i, I think it's quite you know, it's quite interesting because, in it, as you know, in the research that I've been doing in, in 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 sales and what customers are looking for, we define these, you know, four mindsets that you are so familiar with now. Um, and 
um, two of the mindsets, as you know, the ones that are rarest are proactive creativity and tactful audacity. And uh, I think that uh, to me, it seems quite clear that um, uh, that you obviously have a, a, a sort of fairly deep rooted mindset that's around these two rather important mindsets that customers are looking for, which which is around creativity and tactful audacity. Um, and what I've what I found quite interesting about this trilogy series is the fact that the three um, the three of you, and I'd like to explain to the listeners a bit why I've invited you to come in onto this podcast. The three of you that are involved in highly complex, creative kind of deal making have all had this experience, have all had some sort of entrepreneurial idea. In the case of Mike Hurley, um, he'd set up um, a channel partnership, you know, a dealer, but 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 actually, in his words, he said he sold it just before it went bankrupt. I think I'm not sure how much he sold it for, but you know, he's got this experience and you know a lot of learnings from it. And I know that David uh, David Mines, who works for um, Bunzel, um, actually had a similar experience of setting up his own company. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's it's really really interesting, and um, I think it's uh, probably a, a reason why you're so successful at what you do. Um, yeah. So I, I just um, I just want to explain that I I met Jan um, whilst I was running a program for the channel partners in SAP uh, SAP Holland, and it was. Um, a program with various dealers came together and their experienced salespeople were invited to attend this particular program. And it was based on um, a program that we call winning, winning value proposition. And it was an opportunity to share the sort of mindset research that I've talked about so often on these podcasts uh, with a particular sort of way of engaging with, with with larger deals and um yeah Jan was one of the uh, you know nine ten people that were on that particular program um and we we came together after after three months of doing the the workshop and I asked people you know how they'd got on with implementing some of these ideas and I must say I I was really struck with with your story Jan about how you'd started to use some of the frameworks and tools to win a uh, a deal in 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 what was quite a short space of time, and so that's one of the reasons why you know I'd just love you to share a little bit about um, the sort of things that you found worked for you when you were engaged in that pursuit. But I I know that. I know that you're also working on some other quite interesting opportunities at the moment as well yeah. at an even bigger level, a bigger scale. And it would be really interesting to get some insights into how you're approaching some of these large deals. So I'll let you take the discussion how you'd like to on this. Uh... Yeah, I can elaborate a bit on on um, what I did after the, the program that you ran at SAP. Yeah, but. But first, I I think it's 
uh, one of the key success factors of being able to implement those learnings is actually to be able to attend those kind of programs. And that's something that is relatively new. Um, and what I mean is, you said we were in a room uh, with 10 people for a couple of sessions during uh, a period of a couple of months, and it were different SAP partners in the room. Mm -hmm. And with different SAP partners, uh, you can also say, several competitors were in the same room. Mm. And what I uh, found quite interesting is that during the program, those competitors were having constructive conversations about becoming better salesmen or mm. salespeople and being more successful. And we were actually sharing lessons and uh, best practices and mm. failures with each other. Yeah instead of um, running some kind of marketing show telling how great we were. And yeah. that was one of the first insights that I had in, in the first two sessions that yeah. it was completely open and the platform created there was really beneficial for learning. So that's something that I really want to emphasize is that uh, that's a change that I've seen in the last couple of years, yeah. at least in the SAP partnership or, or channel ecosystem. Yeah that partners are trying to become better with each other instead of yeah, yeah. Um, protecting their best practices and IP and stuff. And so yeah. that, I, that gave me a lot of energy and that's why I'm really excited about the program, uh, WVP and Consalia as a whole. And I know SAP is as well. Yeah. So, um, but going to the, the lessons learned from the program and applying them to, to to deals or opportunities. Um, we basically took, took three things from the program. And of course, the, uh, the mindset components were the most important one. So that's um, everything you do in an interaction with your client should be based on those components. So every proposal that you write, every conversation that you have with a client, every email that you send, or every product uh, letter that you send, fact sheets, everything should be at least a little bit connected to one of those mindsets. Because, yeah. and that's the second part, what we applied in the specific deal that I also presented at the end of the, um, of the program, is the third box thinking. So connecting mm -hmm. the client's clients' needs and values to your own, that is basically the, um, um, the cheat sheet of conversation points with your customer mm -hmm. to be able to really, really connect uh, with them. That was very important in the, in the, in the deal that we, uh, we are talking about uh, here. And I'll come to that in a little bit because the third component that we took from the program, um, and we discussed it a little bit during the program, but I also read it in the book, um, is you have to be able to um, connect internally within your company as well. Yeah. Because it's very, very important. Uh, a client is never buying from me. It's buying from McCoy. Mm -hmm. And our services, our products are not just software. It's also 
value uh, by consulting. Yeah. So it's really important to show the customer um, what he's getting, not only from an SAP IT solution point of view, but also um, a people from people point of view. And of course we can, we can tell, okay, this person, this consultant has the right skills. He has the right certifications. He has the right experience. So he's the perfect candidate for implementing this solution at your company. That's a given. Um, everybody can write a, a, a cool resume or everybody can have that experience. What is way more important is when you're telling a customer, we're going to do this project, you have to buy the software, you have to buy this project services. The customer wants to know who am I going to work with for the next mm. three, six, 12, 18 months. Who am I going to call in the middle of the night when we're in deep trouble? Yeah. Who am I going to celebrate with when we go live? Who am I going to have a glass of champagne or a nice dinner when we are successful together? Mm -hmm. That's never a hard requirement in an RFP or, yeah. but the soft skills of a person, the cultural click with a customer, the DNA match, that is one of the key components that is important in closing deals in the, in the business that we're in. So in order to be able to convince the client that your consultants are the best candidates for the, for the project, you have to be able to present them to them. So they have to be there. They're yeah. not sending emails. They're not sending resumes. They're not uh, pictures yeah. on a slideshow. They're real people. Yeah, talking yeah. to customers, not about pricing or contractual yeah. details, but about how are we going to work together? How, I, how am I going to have your back? Yeah. How do I put my responsibility onto the table so that we are going to be successful together? And I think that maybe that's, maybe that's the most important thing that I've, that I've learned is mm -hmm. connecting those internal champions, connecting those internal yeah. unique selling points of our company to the client and really taking the time to use them as an asset. Yeah. Sounds a bit disrespectful, but it's, re it's really true. No, it's important. And, and, uh, I don't know if you can remember, but at the beginning of the program, I shared with you some of the, uh, customer videos that I'd done as part of my doctorate research. And there was that wonderful, and I think you might've picked up on this uh, during, during the workshop is that. It came from someone fairly senior at Vodafone, and he said, I, I want a salesperson, but I don't want him pointing at me. I want him pointing back inside his own company. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly the point that you're kind of making is that, you know, that it's not just you, it's the entire company, but you, you fronting that deal um, need to be seen by the client as having the authority the power the leadership to be able to engage the different players and it's not just the tech team is it it's not just the consultant it's also the you know in the case i know the managing director of the company who Definitely. i think played a role because i think you're a bit skeptical with this particular deal that you are working on that you were brought in quite late in the day i believe and i think um the MD was kind of skeptical that you were just being used to try and 
help the customer negotiate a better price or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that yeah. correct? So could could you just because I I think that's also quite interesting um, because uh, I think one of the things that you mentioned was the importance of cultural alignment between a supplier and a customer, and I think that. Um, clearly, culture is influenced a lot by the managing director of the company, and I think this was a card that you, not card that you knowingly played, but was played as a consequence of some of the actions you took. Yeah, that's uh, that's very uh, good that you mention it because it's true. We the particular deal that we're talking about, we were uh, arriving very very late at the table. So the customer was working with uh, another SAP partner for, I think it was already four to six months, talking about, okay, we need a new ERP system. It needs to be able to do this and that. And we need to talk about planning and risk management and and stuff. And then I got a call from somebody uh, from my network um, that was working at that customer as the um, chief growth and strategy. Okay. So she is in the management team um, and she knew me because I used to work with uh, one of her relatives. So she had never done business with us. And I talked to her for like an hour and then I talked to the project lead for the, for the project at the customer for like one hour. And immediately after those two conversations, I felt that we had a cultural match. So if you talk about entrepreneurial, if you talk about quality, if you talk about speed, if you talk about flexibility, being authentic, um, everything checked the box. But when I went to um, our company founder, um, he said, well, okay, but they're talking to our competitor for like four to six months. What if what if they're just benchmarking? That was the question he asked me. So I have, I have to think about, okay, am I going to sell this inside McCoy mm-hmm. and make my case? And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty much a waste of time to focus on internal discussions. And our founder, Tom, he's, he's, he's the prototype of an entrepreneur. He's yeah. been starting companies for like 30 years. Um, and he's also, as you said, a very important driver of our culture, our DNA, mm-hmm. our values. Yeah. So the most simple thing to do was to have him talk to the client mm. and find out for himself that the cultural match was there, of course, the budget and the ambition was there. And when he did, he said, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> So you can, you can make internal presentations and Excel yeah, sheets yeah. and business cases and uh, percentages of winning chances and risk analysis, or you can have a conversation. And um, I think that really helped. And that's yeah. also very much linked to values and DNA. Yeah. And- Do you know what's quite interesting? If you If you sort of link some of the things we're talking about now to what has been some of the perceived wisdom of, sales effectiveness from you know different philosophies is that so much of what you are describing comes down to uh, an emotional connection 
you know, between yourself, you know, you talk about culture, you're talking about um, fit, you're talking about sort of values, um, which is, and, and, and it's the same with your, your managing director, the founder of the company, is that he sensed after a, a short, I guess, meeting with, with your, your client that there was a fit. Mm-hmm. Lots of this comes down to um, something that's difficult to put your hand around, isn't it? It's sort of, there's a feeling, there's a chemistry that somehow exists and you pick it up through conversation, not through PowerPoint slides or insight-led papers that, you know, it's it's a very human, it's a very human connection. Um uh, but as a consequence of that, and 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 then getting the support of the MD, you you were able then to pull the resources, I guess, in a very short space of time to put together what was quite a a quick a quick deal for you. Didn't yeah, it? and it it also has to do with another mindset and the tactful audacity. Um, yeah, we we of course we had a a, a big click with the client and. We connected, and of course, we had the products and the services that they needed. But yeah. it, it was not differentiating from our competition. Everybody yeah. can implement SAP. Yeah, it's just learning, do a training, know where to click, know how to how to write code, or yeah, everybody can learn that. I think tactful audacity in this one was a very important one because one of the key drivers of the client when we were talking to them. They had to launch a new product on July 1st. Okay. And the product is being developed, produced, sold, shipped, invoiced in the Netherlands. And they built a complete new factory to be able to do that. But a new ERP system was a strong condition to be able to do that. Otherwise, they couldn't send invoices. They, yeah, they can yeah. build the product, but they can't sell it. They can't manage their stock. They can't manage their product lifecycle management. So... ERP was a very important um, aspect of that product launch. And we were talking to them in April. Okay. And the factory went in operation on July 1st. Well, a normal ERP implementation at a manufacturing company takes a couple of months, so to say. Okay. (laughs) So they said to us, can you do this in three months? Which was never done before. And then you can also think, okay, what are the risks? What do we need to cover before agreeing to this? But when I talk to my colleagues, my my, uh, solution architect teammates, they said, well, this is a challenge, but it's a fun one. And they started thinking, what can we do to make it happen instead of what are the risks when we do so? Okay. And... That tactful audacity was really energizing them to think outside of the box. But I also had to, of course, uh, present it internally. If we're going to do this and it fails, what's the what's yeah. the risk? And then you get back to the entrepreneurial values and the DNA of McCoy. They say, well, if it hasn't been done before, let's be the first ones to do it. So we put everything in place and we said to the client, okay, we're going to do this. And this is our plan. These are risks, but we're going to mitigate them almost yeah, fully. Yeah. 
but there is a certain uncertainty yeah, yeah. that we have to jointly commit to. If it uh, goes wrong, we have to take joint responsibility for this. And uh, we shook hands and we delivered the projects in 10 weeks. Wow. <laughs> I think if we we come to the bigger deal that we can talk about uh, yeah. next, if if we have to do that in <laughs> in a bigger, complex, more corporate environment, it would have never been a success. Right. Because the culture wouldn't, uh, the client side and your side wouldn't have worked, or because it the the larger opportunity you're now working on is just so complex so too many too many things too many factors could actually make it go wrong so you, so it was a it was a big implementation with the manufacturer that you were dealing with um but it wasn't too complex that it no it wasn't too complex because that's that's the benefit of the new sap so they're now a cloud company and implementing Okay. Best practices and standard software, so the risk is a, le a, loss le uh, le a lot less. A lot less, yeah. But it's also a mindset of customer implementation projects that you're, yeah, you you as a partner are responsible to say, okay, we're going to implement yeah. standard software, and yeah. it doesn't matter that you're an engineer and you can write software and yeah. custom develop kind of stuff. Yeah. That's not what we're going to do here. The main goal is to get yeah that factory up and running, and you can do that with standard software. So yeah, that was. It's a complex company, but we implemented standard processes. That it, that is one of the uh, big advantages of that yeah. uh, deal. The new one, yeah. the bigger one, um, there's, there's a couple of components that have added to the complexity of that deal. Uh, one, it's a public company. Okay. Um, always more complex than privately owned. Yeah. Two, um, it's a huge deal. We're talking like 80 million euros. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three, we're working together with uh, another SAP partner because it's so big, there's no single SAP partner in the Netherlands that can do this on it, on its own. Yeah, so yeah. So you have three components that add to the complexity. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of limits you to be audacious uh, yeah, to a certain yeah. level. Because the risks are also a lot bigger. And um, then you get back to the DNA thing. So you have to find ways to put your DNA, put your values, put your cultural assets, put your unique selling points, not only in front of the customer, but also in front of the partner that you're working with, which is a lot bigger than we are. So there are a lot more corporate risk averse, okay. um, um, bigger than we are. Can I... Can I ask you how you came to form this consortia? You know, what brought two competing companies together to work on this? I, I know size is a, an element, but why you and why them? Um, we have a long relationship with this client. Uh, okay. So I've, I've, uh, done my first uh, contract or first deal there in 2015. So I know them for a very long time. And I've been working for the last three years with them to shape this program that they're uh, okay. putting out there in the market right now. So I know them very well. And I also know our competitor quite well. 
Um, and I know that they have some assets in their portfolio that, that we don't have that can work really, really well in this program. So the customer yeah. would really benefit from certain assets. And I can't mention any names because it's, yes, of course. Yeah. it's still under NDA, but they have a couple of assets that are truly valuable uh, to this client. Yeah. Basically that I wish we had. Uh, so they add value to the opportunity to the to the client and they increase um, the chance of success. On the other hand, I think McCoy has a better cultural fit, um, a better relationship, a better um, internal champion network that are yeah. uh, being put in front of the customer than our partner at the moment. Yeah. And I thought, well, when we combine these two things, we're unbeatable. Um, so, and then you get, then you come to the point, yeah. uh, who's, who's going to call who? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the throat to choke. So how do you, how do how have you dealt with that area, the governance of the, the opportunity? Cause I'm sure that's important for you and for the client and for your partner as well. How, how did you approach? Yeah, it, it, we knew uh, they were going to release a public tender. So it's uh, it's okay. a European rules and legislation. So it's a public tender. So we had to move before the publication of that tender. So yeah, I just set up a meeting with um, with the big partner that we're working with right now to get to know each other. And I invited their um, chief SAP. I invited our delivery director, and I I've, I invited some consultants to get to know each other. Yeah. And then in the second meeting, um, we liked each other in the first meeting. And then in the second meeting, we talked about the opportunity at hand yeah, and about the, um, the assets that could be combined. How can we complement each other? Yeah. And yeah. we, we decided, okay, this, this could be the winning proposition. If we combine these two, three yeah. components of our two companies. Um, and of course, on, on senior, senior chief level, this was also validated with the client. Well, if we, if we combine powers, when you publish this yeah. tender, what would be your uh, initial response? And the client actually really appreciated that we took the, the, the action to talk to each other. Okay. Brilliant. It's, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I, I know when I was working on my, um, on my research doctorate. Um, and I was looking at the four values. So we've got client centricity, authenticity, proactive creativity, and tactful audacity. And under client centricity, um, I wondered about the word collaboration because collaboration um, was something that really came through from the customer interviews. And the example that you've now given is one of not you collaborating with the customer, but actually collaborating with people who jointly can form a better solution than you could on your own. Mm -hmm. um, I was of the view when I did my doctorate was that the what's the lead mindset for collaboration? What's the lead mindset? And I decided that collaboration would come under client centricity because if you're being really client centric and you're really focused on trying to solve a problem that your client's got, recognizing 
that you don't have all of the assets in your portfolio, then you would have a mindset to collaborate and you would have the leadership skills to kind of make it work. And so, um, I mean, clearly you have the relationship with your end customer. You know them well. Um, And I think what's interesting about this opportunity is the fact that you got permission to do this before they issued the public tender. Mm -hmm. I think that's... That's a that's a really good thing. <laughs> I know you thought, yeah. you know, you did it before, and it's a it's a really good thing. I, I'll share some stories with you about um, client. Yeah, sometimes clients make collaboration work because they can see strengths from one company over here and over there together. They can see they could provide a better solution, and they. They invite these two competing companies to come together. Yeah. I've seen that happen before. Um, but in your case, you got there first, you thought it through. So I, to me, it, it ticks all the boxes of creativity and tactful audacity and client centricity and authenticity. Yeah. I think the last one is, is also something that you mentioned. Authenticity is also saying, okay, we, Client needs something and we don't have it. Yeah. We can't offer it. Yeah. You you can put everything on a slide deck. You can put everything in a yeah. proposal, but you will have a lot of trouble delivering it if you don't have it. Yeah. So authenticity is also being honest about what you can and can't do. Yeah. That was one of the drivers here as well, because we're not only too small to do this on our own. Yeah. We also miss certain assets that the client needs. Yeah. And vice yeah. versa. Yeah. Our partner misses some assets that we have to the client. Yeah. So, in a way, you had nothing to lose, you know, because you knew that it was Treat. going to be really difficult for you to, on your own, get close to winning it. And so, um, and it's recognizing, I think it's, uh, we talk about this sort of solution development matrix when we, when we talk about the WBP program, you started looking at what do we have and, and you begin to realize that, What's your point of uniqueness here? And of course, you've got the relationship. That's key. Mm-hmm. Um, but your relationship, yeah, so, but, but you're uh, maybe slightly weaker on some of the other solution sets required. So how do you fix that? You go and talk to other people. Um, but still, I think there's, um, with any of these collaboration, trust is so important, isn't it? And it's, it's the basis. And I, I guess the, customer is going to be very concerned about how this thing will be governed you know if something goes wrong do they go to yan or do they go to the other company you know could would you mind sharing how you've managed that part of it the actual how have you worked out with your 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 competitor collaborator how are you <laughs> going to respond yeah, that's something that we actually spend a lot of time on, uh, not to cover risks or protect our assets or protecting our IP, but basically answering your question. Yeah. What if the customer uh, wants to talk to a single point of contact for this project? Who should it be? And yeah. we didn't 
we didn't make that a contest of who's more important, who's going to be the lead, who's going to be who's going to be the boss in the governance. We we drafted the governance for the program uh, based on what would be best for the customer. So we have a we have a clear roles and responsibilities uh, segmentation yeah. between our two companies, between our yeah. assets, between our IP. Yeah. And we have plotted them onto the question from the customer. So the, the customer asks for a transformation project consisting of software implementation services, change management, business transformation processes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And we made the matrix for our assets or services onto that request from the client. And then you can also draft the governance about how you're going to deliver this. Yeah. Um, which you can then also basically copy to your contracts. Yeah. The contract between our consortium and the client. Yeah. But also, of course, the back-to-back -back agreements we have between ourselves yeah. as partners. Yeah. You should... In, in these kind of deals, is it, it's important to think about it, but it's also important to make it factual by signing a contract yeah. because yeah, th this is going to run for a couple of years and it's it's about a lot of money. It's about a big scope. Yeah, It's also big risk for everybody, um, yeah. for, for the client, for us, and for our partner. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I call the power of three. If you work in these kind of uh, environments, you have to protect the interests of all three parties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can only do that by providing full clarity or transparency on how it's going to work in practice, but also uh, capturing that into a contract. That's mm. not the most fun thing to do, but it's it's a very important aspect to be able to successful. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple of connected stories about this is... Um... Uh, one is with us as a company, and we were doing a huge amount of work many years ago with with Compaq, and um, the organisation that I was in at the time and, and leading was a UK consultancy had won this contract with Compaq to deliver sales training in about thirty different countries in 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 different languages, but they also had a US partner. That was doing a different program, very exciting program. Actually, it's a partner with whom we've collaborated, collaborated with around building third box thinking. You know, it goes goes right back to this point in time. And the client actually said to us, or said to me, Phil, I think you and the US company should work together because you've got the international network and you can deliver in local language around the world. They've got this particular program that we want to deliver around the, the world. You two should talk. <laughs> and so the client actually yeah. brought us together. And, it, and, and it's a relationship that's lasted for many, many years. It's just great. But another story which happened with one of our clients was in the civil engineering space. And it was a major pitch to, I don't know if you've been to Singapore on your way to did you go to no you went to hong kong didn't you no i went to uh to bangkok oh to bangkok that's summer before i went to indonesia yeah, yeah before you went to indonesia so i was very jealous of your holiday uh this year. <laughs> um but if you'd gone to singapore you might have uh, seen the new terminal that's been built it's a fantastic at Chang airport terminal 
and it involves architects, consulting engineers, and then contractor builders. And it's, you know, these are multi, multi sort of million dollar deals to get put together. And it's, it's sort of run through the government of Singapore as well. So public procurement is always a bit tricky. Um, but they part, they, so who you select with on a deal is quite important. And they selected a particular, um, architect to con- contractor. So three of them were, were pitching, um, in, you know, for the Chang Airport deal. And there were a number of consortiums like this being, being pitched. And we were working with, with our client on this deal. We, we were kind of close, like doing a live deal opportunity in terms of coming up with the, you know, sort of third box and mindset thinking in order to win it. And um, after the deal was put in, um, after the deal was put in uh, and, and the decision came, we had the bad news that the deal was lost. Yeah, that was the bad news. The good news was that the client said that no one consortium had won the deal, but we've seen the best group of civil engineers and the best architects from different consortiums. We think my client was the best civil engineering company for the deal, but they wanted them to partner with one of the other consortium. Mm-hmm. And, and they then found themselves winning the deal to build Changi Airport, but with a completely different consortium. <laughs> yeah. Great. It's a, it's just great, but you know, I, I but I think it takes a lot to, you know, the decisions you make about collaboration, the decisions you make about governance. But I think that the most important thing is something that you said earlier on in this conversation, which is that if you follow your values and if you follow your your belief of being client centric. Um, and everything you do is following that particular mantra. It's not about self-interest. It's not about ego. It's not about money. It's about, you know, even if you may lose an opportunity um, because it doesn't quite work out or, you know, some other consortium puts in a better a better deal for your your customer, you'll get noticed you'll get noticed, mm-hmm. they'll remember. Right. And who knows, they may decide to reconfigure things as well. But uh, but I think this notion of collaboration is so important. And you, I think you've been very clever. And this is the early, early mover advantage in being able to set up your team before the public announcement so you can make calculated decisions and you're not rushing you know, because of the RFP response to who am I going to partner with and how are we going to do this and should I bid or not? So you've gained yourself quite a bit of time. When will you know? When will you know if you're successful? Yeah. End of the year. At the end of the year. Yeah. End Um, of the year is the the final decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the biggest opportunity that I've worked on uh, within McCoy by far. Yeah. 
And it's completely different than the deal I closed right after the program at SAP yeah. with, with you guys. Yeah. But it has some some really fun components that you okay. that haven't done before. So working with a big, big, big global uh, company and partnering with them, yeah. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Um, but I also find it. I I have a, a healthy. Um, aversion against big corporate internal non-value adding processes okay <laughs> but with our current partner i'm also learning that these mandatory internal processes or approvals yeah. or yeah. whatever can actually add value okay. to a deal cycle right and i've discussed this with our team last week we we don't have to copy those internal processes absolutely not because it's it's not yeah. matching with our yeah. entrepreneurial skills and entrepreneurial mindset but we can pick up things from that that we can translate to mccoy best practices that will improve our deal cycles that will yeah. improve our win rate that will improve our profitability yeah. um, all kinds of things that i pick up from this collaboration yeah. that we can implement into ourselves and i think that's one of the things i like most by of running such different sales cycles that you can pick up little details and uh, learn little lessons from every deal, big or small, yeah. which can continuously improve yourself or your company. Yeah. But you have to be open-minded for that. You yeah. don't being being authentic. Yeah. Doesn't mean staying the same. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. It doesn't mean staying the same. Um, but part of being creative and problem solving, you know, that is part of what makes you who you are. We know we've, we've talked about that sort of earlier, but the, you, you know, you've definitely got a fantastic growth mindset. I have a couple of questions for you, Jan, which is that, I mean, clearly you love the being in the sort of deal making space. Yeah. Um, how do you see your, your sort of, career moving forward because a lot of people involved in this is sort of the top salespeople tend to get promoted into kind of management and leadership and managing teams of people doing the kind of things that you're doing is that where you see your your future career perhaps at some point or do you enjoy the deal making side of things so much that that's where you'd like to stay because i often talk to salespeople who are doing similar things to you and and you know some have tried the sort of lead, leadership side but they they don't like it as much as the deal making side and i i think that and i've published um a podcast recently about the fact that don't assume that you have to go into management to develop in sales you can you know they're different. Oh, most So my question to you is: what, what, how do you see your, you know, your personal development moving forward? That's a good question. Um, I've experienced uh, um, three different things in my career. I've been a consultant delivering projects. I've been a salesman selling projects, and I've been a manager leading sales teams and also running. Um, certain yeah. uh, teams within the company. If I have to pick one, which is most fun, I can't. 
because um, every every role is still um, an opportunity to learn, which you can combine into other roles. So okay. if you plot that on my career, I'm I'm kind of entrepreneurial. So you could say, okay, I'm going to start my own company at some time, but being at McCoy with the entrepreneurial DNA, it's kind of a, we have a, we have a, a culture where you can share your ideas. And if it's a good idea, you'll get the backing to implement or execute that idea. So we have numerous examples of colleagues having a big idea that led to a new value proposition and even led to new companies okay. within our, within our portfolio. And I think if I have to pick one, I want to be one of the, um, one of the people within McCoy that facilitates that entrepreneurial growth, okay. facilitating new business developments, facilita facilitating new sales yeah. to grow and yeah. enabling people to, yeah, make their dreams reality. It sounds a, a bit romantic, but actually it's true because they have an idea and they can implement or execute it within yeah. the company that they're working for with all the yeah. support they need. So I think my career path would be entrepreneurial, yeah. but within the same company. Within the same, yeah. Well, they talk a lot about in entrepreneurship, don't they, as being a partner. Yeah. And I think linking it back to some of the things we do on the master's program, we talk about... Um, Agility, and I know we've spoken about agility, and, and McCoy is a very agile kind of uh, business structure, um, and that's enabled you to to move quickly and make decisions, and 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 so on. Um, but it's such an important skill, I think, in this current era where you can't stand still. You've got to be, you've got to move fast to survive. I think in this modern mm -hmm. world in yeah. which we live and uh, I think you're a great exemplar of that well I think we're probably reaching the end of the time Jan it's time flies yeah just uh, just a fantastic conversation with you thanks thank you for having me and um <laughs> yeah I as I said I took a lot from your program that we did at yeah. uh, at SAP with Alf and the other partners yeah and I really like talking about it as well, about learning and yeah. applying yeah. Uh, those learnings. It's really fun. So so thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. And as we were talking, and maybe we'll have a talk offline about this, but I think you would be a very good candidate for the uh, for the master's program, the way you think. <laughs> so I would love to. <laughs> we'll have a chat about that after, you know, maybe separately to this. But I, I just know the way your mind works. You would you would get a huge amount of um, value from it and McCoy would as well. But uh, anyway, we'll have a separate chat. But thank you so much mm -hmm. for sharing your learnings and completing the trilogy. Yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. Phil. Cheerio then. <laughs> <laughs>